Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of Extra Extra. It's all about whiskey. I'm your host, Jason. Three names. We're joined by the longtime whiskey chair up here, and it's lovely to see you. Likewise, it is lovely to be seen. I mean, it's lovely to see you. Indeed. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for being had. Uh, every week in... <laughs> I always say it in every week, and we don't we don't post it weekly, so it's simply not true, and I don't like starting out with a lie. So each episode of Extra Extra sees Joshua or I bring a often whiskey-related news article to the attention of the other. We read it in the first half, we riff on it in the second half, and occasionally we break up the monotony by just doing things slightly different. Mm. And today, we're going to do things slightly different. How do you feel about that, Joshua? You know what? A little change up in the uh, in the old room is, uh, is always a welcome thing. <laughs> I know you've said that on this podcast before. I distinctly remember you saying that. I think that's a go-to for you. Uh, out of the room. So... You're up first. You're going to read us a wee article, a wee update article, Mm -hmm. and we'll do a very quick riff on it, and then we'll take a wee break and we'll come back in the second half with another story. So the first story comes from the Schenken News Daily, and and I would suggest anyone who is not subscribed to the Schenken News Daily might want to look into that. It's mostly for industry folk, but... You're listening to an industry podcast, so maybe you two would be interested in receiving this daily email. So, indeed, the article came out November 1st, and it says, News alert, European Union to remove tariffs on American whiskey, which was a nice welcome thing to read. So, (laughs) (laughs) uh, the story is written by one Danielle Marsteller. Wait. I think it's Daniel. What did I say? Of the... Of the famous Marstellers. You said Danielle. Oh, did I say Danielle? All right. The article is written by Daniel Marsteller, and it goes as such. The European Union has agreed to remove its tariffs on American whiskey, which has been in effect since, you ready for this, Jason? 2018. Indeed. That's a crazy number at this point and has caused significant export declines for U.S. distillers in key markets. The tariffs are being removed as part of a larger deal in which the U.S. has agreed to ease its own tariff on EU steels and aluminum. It's that classic steel-aluminum-American whiskey trade-off. Classic. Story as old as time. Well, you know, with the with the Scotch whiskey tariffs, it was also steel and aluminum, but it was it steel and aluminum in the in the shape of airplanes, right? <laughs> anyway, the EU is the largest export market for American whiskeys, and the category saw a severe decline in the region owing to the tariffs, down nearly forty percent from two thousand eighteen to two thousand twenty a roughly $260 million decrease to $440 million in exports. The 25% tariffs had been scheduled to increase to 50% as of December, absent an agreement on the steel and aluminum issue. Discus noted that work remains to remove similar tariffs on American whiskeys in the U.K., Uh, Which was kind of sad to see, but we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. Indeed. Quote, 
After three very difficult years of sagging American whiskey exports, the EU and U.S. are back to a zero-for-zero tariff agreement on distilled spirits, which has been instrumental to our export success and job creation on both sides of the Atlantic since 1997, said Chris Swanger, president and CEO of The Discus. Quote, Lifting this tariff burden on American whiskeys not only boosts U.S. distillers and farmers, it also supports the recovery of EU restaurants, bars, and distilleries hit hard by the pandemic. We are energized and ready to ramp up our American whiskey promotions in the EU to reintroduce America's native spirits to EU consumers. End quote. And... End of article. Yeah, yeah, there, there's some lovely things to be read in there. Zero for zero tariff agreement on distilled spirits. Mm. What a lovely thing to read after these three years. It's, it's incredible to see it go. It's also interesting earlier in the article where they talked about those 25% tariffs had been scheduled to increase to 50% as of December. Mm-hmm. Do you remember we talked about that earlier this year oh, as I well? Do. Oh, I do. Yeah. Where there was that kind of clock watch that 50% was on the horizon. And if you thought 25% had done damage, wait till you see 50. And they managed to hold that off, not quite at the 11th hour, but perhaps far. closer yeah. than a producer would like. Mm-hmm. And now here we are sitting in November hearing, yeah, they'd kick that can down the road to December. But thank goodness that's been averted now as well. So great news for for our friends in the EU. Great news for our friends in the American producing Mm -hmm. side of the business as well. I'll throw one quick anecdote. and It's it's a one-sentence anecdote. It hardly (laughs) warrants the word. But I was speaking to an American producer this week and I was congratulating them on this news. Mm -hmm. And just to show the way this news drops for consumers the same way it drops for producers, Mm -hmm. this American producer said, just last month we air freighted a whole bunch of product over to Europe so that was there in time for OND, October, November, December. Mm-hmm. And there's your tariffs now lifted. And so not only did they have the air freight costs, yeah. then they also had the tariffs on top of that as well. So a bit of a double whammy right before the dropping of the tariffs. Obviously, the air freight speaks to global logistical issues that we've mentioned in other places, mm-hmm. but... Imagine having that air freight cost and then your tariffs on top of that once you land. Yeah, you know, this is, it's a great article to be reading and it's wonderful news. But I'm going to beat the old drum of how and why did we get into the position of throwing tariffs on our closest allies in the first place. It's right. An article like this should never have been written because we should never have acted in such a way with our allies. Well, and actually to add on to that, to look at the fact that this is the EU, obviously since Brexit, this does not include the UK. Mm -hmm. But 
I'm going to ask a seemingly simple question, which is why is the UK dragging its feet on this? Mm. And I think the reality might be because there are thousands of fires currently needing to be put out in the UK surrounding recent political decisions and votes and moves. We we know how Brexit is affecting us Mm -hmm. from selecting and filling and bottling and trying to ship out of Scotland into the EU. Mm -hmm. We know how much of a mess that is right now. To think of them also worrying about US products trying to come into the UK with tariffs attached. Mm-hmm. Like, you you can only try to put out so many fires in a day. I guess so. Uh, do you know why? Have you, have you dug deeper or looked at other articles that may have explained a bit further as to as to why the UK hasn't moved? I mean, other than us just supposing there's a hundred other fires to be put out, you know, it seemed clear that when the Biden administration went to the EU for the big G20, that obviously this was something on the agenda. And, well, I guess now with, with the UK out of the EU, it's a simple fact of... That ain't the agenda. You now have two very different agendas. It seems climate was more on the agenda for the UK than than it was trade issues with the UK. Yeah, no. I haven't read one single thing that that has said what's being discussed with the tariffs still in place mm-hmm. with the UK. I no idea. So, yeah, it's, it's another one of those moments when you're saying to American producers, hey, congratulations on the EU. And, and now again, let's, let's see if we can get this horse over the finish line with the UK at some point. You know, th- there was a, a time, maybe a few months back, where you'd, you'd said, I'm starting to think that Brexit may not have been a good idea after all. And... And I, for a while, just simply didn't agree with you. I mean, if 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 the public voted for it, then obviously it's a very smart idea. Um, I'm starting to think you may be right, Jason. I, I wish the listeners could see you winking all the way through this. <laughs> wink, 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 wink. Because wink. Your, your tone is not doing nearly enough heavy lifting to communicate how much of a joke this is. I was winking so much I started to blink. That's how, that's, that's how much I was winking. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the whole thing is a is a shit show, an absolute shit show. Based based on trade relationships and you know allied states and allied nations and why the hell we're trying to fall out with each other at a time when we need to be having one another's back is completely beyond me. But Western powers have made decisions that, on the face of it, make absolutely no sense. And here we are trying to make the best of a bad lot. Yeah, there you go. So anyway, let's take our good news where we can find it. I was positive in the last episode of Extra Extra, which I'm still recovering from. We have a level of positivity with the lifting of the tariffs into the EU. Huge, huge. And yep. and we continue to have a little wrinkle with the tariffs as they continue to be applied with exports to the UK. Hopefully, maybe that'll go away by the end of 2021. Maybe we'll finally lay this entire episode to rest. Fingers crossed. Let's take a quick break and come back with another news story. 
welcome back to the second half of the episode. As we normally say at the beginning of the episode, we try to get out of here in a, in a tight 30 to 35 minutes. Sometimes we go a little bit longer if we get deeper into our conversation. Trying to squeeze a couple of things into today's episode, we might go a little bit over that 35 minutes, but we'll, we'll do our best to cover these in a timely manner. This next story comes to us from John Spaulding, a name we'll, we'll recognise from the nation. Mm-hmm. He emailed this story to info at singlecastnation.com, mm-hmm. which I think goes to show an enterprising nation member can get a story in front of us however they see fit. So normally we would say questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com, no E in whiskey, but as you can hear, info at singlecastnation.com also gets to us. That it does. This is from the Idaho Statesman, which I don't think we've covered at all. It's an opinion piece called Words and Deeds by Michael Deeds. And this was last updated November 1st of 2021 in the afternoon. The the title of this Words and Deeds entry is, quote-unquote, harassed by aggressive customers, Idaho liquor stores set new, quote-unquote, fair rules. <laughs> so harassed by aggressive customers, Idaho liquor stores set new, fair rules. And I can't imagine what inspired John to send us this article. When a man was relaxing in a chair outside a Ketchum liquor store before it opened one recent morning, the manager knew something was up. The guy even brought a blanket. Hearing that anecdote 155 miles away in Boise, Tony Faraka knew exactly what was up. (laughs) Already strong, the lust for whiskey has rocketed to a new level the past few months. Statewide, customers have been lining up and purchasing sought-after products at Opening Bell, Their target? Bourbon. Bourbon. And you and I had that the last time we were in Kentucky. We we saw people, what, 80, 90 deep at the Heaven Hill Visitor Center? Yeah. Where a a new product was being launched that morning and people were already in line for it. Yeah, an old Fitz bottle or something like that. And we just wanted to pop in to check it out and we (laughs) ran to the hills. That's it. (laughs) Ran to the hills. Uh, So back to the article. Organized groups buy up rare bottles limited to one per customer, sometimes hopping from store to store, says Faraka, the Idaho State Liquor Division's CFO. Some shoppers try to convince employees to dig through unopened boxes in storage. Armed with inventory details from the Liquor Division's consumer website, Mix, Blend, Enjoy... A few become confrontational if something is not on display. And this is a quote. Some of them, not all of them, have gotten very aggressive with these products, Faraka said. Continues the quote. I know this product is in the store. You need to go grab it and give it to me right now. Insert Veruca Salt right here. (laughs) Faraka says... It's not a lot of fun for us. Nope. So now a subheading of new policy. On October 22nd, the Liquor Division changed the game. 
new rules attempt to level the playing field and deter overzealous buyers. Rather than shipping a prize such as Blanton Single Barrel to specific so-called quote-unquote whiskey stores, the state is dispersing it widely to 67 locations and metering it out on shelves. Hmm. Inventories of rare products no longer are shared online at mixblendenjoy.com. Staffers won't sell anything not on display. Hmm. And as always, rare liquors are limited to one per customer. So, just to editorialise for a second, products are not being listed online through URLs, products are only being sold if they're on a shelf, and they're only selling one bottle per customer. Sound familiar, Joshua? Continue. Our hope for Akased is that more people will get to partake in the rare product. End quote. The bourbon craze is not new. It's been a trend across America for years. But, Faraka says, behaviour in Idaho that triggered the new policy has gone, quote, from bad to worse, end quote, in recent months. Quote, I've talked with colleagues in other states and they are experiencing the same exact thing. This is not unique to Idaho. This is a nationwide issue, Faraka said. Mm -hmm. Part of the newfound hysteria was created by the liquor division, says Chris Schmierer, 45, of Nampa, who runs the Facebook group Boise Whiskey Enthusiasts. He says a newsletter from Mix Blend Enjoy informed customers that in celebration of Bourbon Heritage Month, a trove of rare whiskies would be hitting shelves throughout September. Quote, every bourbon chaser on every delivery day was lining up, Schmierer said. It got really bad. It's essentially like they created their own pandemic of bourbon. <laughs> Instead of toilet paper, it was a run on bourbon. Either way, Faraka maintains, change was needed. So you're saying it was a shitty situation either way. I think that's what he's saying. Quote, We know that there's a lot of hoarding going on, Faraka said. We know that there are illegal secondary sales going on. Our store employees are being harassed by these whiskey groups. It's causing a lot of stress and turmoil with our staff. Schmieder says his heart goes out to liquor store employees. Quote, We always tell people, don't bully the employees. Give them time to unload the freight. Don't pressure them. At the same time, be ready when it hits the shelf. You're not going to have the opportunity to buy it if you're 10 minutes late. Mm -hmm. End quote. Sound familiar? Mm -hmm. Schmierer's private Facebook group, which does not allow secondary reselling, he says... <laughs> I didn't mean to make that sound no, like I no, didn't trust it. But, but, you, but you're right, because the author here put a comma right before he says. So There's a little pause. He says, he says. Um, 
the, this this uh, private Facebook group includes about 150 members. They are split over the new liquor division policy, Schmier says. Him personally, quote, I'm torn, yeah, at the same time, I'm very irritated at anyone who has harassed any of the employees. I'm behind a change that makes life easier for the store employees. That's good to hear. That is very good to hear. This actually goes on a little bit longer than I thought, but this this next section is called Ravenous Buyers. Surrounded by booze at the Garden City Liquor Store on a recent weekday, staffers sounded ready to do a celebratory shot. Quote, I am thrilled, end quote, admitted Cat Friend, acting manager. That's Cat with a K, just in case you think she's a friend of Oh, she's a cat friend. I am thrilled, said the acting manager. Whiskey collectors, she said, quote unquote, created a monster. Derek Harris, a clerk, said some bourbon enthusiasts, as fun as they can be, have gotten ravenous. Quote, I think the pandemic had a lot to do with it. People starting these collections. Mm. <laughs> in addition, in... <laughs> In addition to lessening in-store madness, I just, <laughs> I know this is an editorial, but some of the words in this article, ravenous, madness, created a monster. Yes. <laughs> bullying. Yes. Like, <laughs> this is serious it's, business. It's serious. And, and, you know, what the author here is talking about, none of us should be strangers to we've all seen the lines whether it was in person oh, or yeah. or oh, yeah. you know pictured in facebook it's it's become oh, yeah. a thing anyway yeah or the instagram posts or the oh, facebook yeah. posts yeah. look what i got you know the crotch shots yeah all of it in addition to lessening in store madness the new rules theoretically will stop what friend describes as quote incessant phone calls on freight days do you have any Blantons? Do you have any Eagle Rare? <laughs> I would go so far as to say, see if you're placing a phone call on Freight Day, you've already missed it. You've already missed like, it. If, you, yeah. if you're not standing in line to get in the door, Jason, you've missed it. Don't, don't, don't give people pointers on, on how to upset the employees more. Well, that's the old system. So we're safe. We're safe here. <laughs> Fervent bourbon hunters know which days the stores receive freight shipments. Quote, that's exactly why we call them freight chasers, friend said. Until now, Idaho has been akin to a bourbon hunter's paradise. The state-controlled stores sell even the most desirable products at retail prices. Inventory was relatively easy to track, even if quantities are updated only every 24 hours and specific hard-to-find products were available only at certain stores. The hottest annual items, such as Pappy, Van Winkle and Buffalo Trace Antique Collection whiskies, are sold through a lottery system. That will continue. But this year, the liquor division has done fewer lotteries of other brands than it had in prior years. Mm. Meanwhile, less expensive, coveted bourbons such as Blanton's or Eagle Rare 10-year, $59.95 and $35.95 respectively, are being snatched up by savvy collectors. Idaho stores receive about 800 bottles of Blantons each month and 480 bottles of Eagle Rare. And now we're into the last section here. 
Unicorn in the Wild, which when a, when a subheading says Unicorn in the Wild, you have to continue. We can't, we can't get out of here on that. So we're back to Michael Deeds. Not everyone can line up at a store on a weekday morning with their buddy, girlfriend, boyfriend or grandma to slay elusive prey one bottle at a time. It won't matter anymore. Even employees don't know what's coming when a delivery truck shows up and they are under no orders to immediately stock shelves with rarities. Managers have latitude to put bottles out at their discretion. Schmier says, it's just finding a unicorn in the wild now. Hmm. You still get to slay it though, right? Oh, that unicorn doesn't know what it has coming to it. I'm going to slay the shit out of it. On a recent Saturday, a man at the Boise Liquor Store on Park Centre Boulevard stumbled upon a bottle of rare Blood Oath bourbon, according to Faraka. Quote, the customer was so excited and surprised to have the opportunity to buy this bottle, he said. Quote, because they always sell out moments after being placed on the shelf and he never would have had the opportunity under our prior format. This is exactly what our new policy is intended to do. Quote, If this somehow turns out to be a terrible idea, then we'll modify again. We're just trying to keep it as fair as possible, so as many people as possible can get our product at the manufacturer's suggested price. End quote. Torn or not, Schmierer appreciates the sentiment and the article closes with Schmierer mm-hmm. being quoted as saying, Whiskey was not meant to be hoarded and consumed home alone, hidden in a closet. It's meant to be shared with people. Again, that's the right message to get out of there on. Yep. Right? I agreed 110%, Jason. So what's interesting, this is Idaho, which is state-controlled. I've mentioned many times in many places. I'm here in Virginia, which is government-owned and state-controlled. And we just received an email at noon saying very similar things. Mm. Um, They've now got enough allocation of products that they can send at least a six-pack to every single store in Virginia. However not every product will be available at every store. Yeah. So there's, and and again, if it's not on a shelf, it is not for sale. There's no checking in the back to see if you just got in an order. Mm -hmm. And it's at the discretion of managers to put things on shelves. So I think a lot of it is a move in the right direction, Managers of stores are savvy people. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much greasing of skids one could do. You know, like like store managers know why people are queuing outside stores to come in and buy all this. Sure. If you're now responsible for being the one putting on a shelf and it can only be purchased if it's been put on a shelf, can you start selling to yourself can you start selling to your buddies can you can you game the system right it's yes it's always a concern yeah and and every system can be gamed and likely has been 
is a frustrating issue, right? Because on, on, on one side of the coin, I like what they're doing here. They're not showing the allocations to the general public, not showing it where it goes. You have to sort of, uh, it becomes a luck of the draw. And if you find it on the shelf for the proper retail price, that's great. On the surface, it's a really good idea. However, they bring up another point, which is the secondary market. And my concern with these allocated bourbons that show up for regular retail price in a store shop is that shop owner is going to make their 25% margin. Meanwhile, Mm -hmm. the person who's purchased the bottle is going to sell it for a few hundred dollars more, if not more, than what their original, you know, what, what the retail price is. So now that retailer doesn't get to enjoy the margins that he or she should enjoy if the bottle is going to be sold for that price, right? If that is what the public assumes the value of that whiskey to be. For as, you know, for as annoyed as I am with bourbon being allocated and Pappy 15, you know, an $89, $99 bottle being sold for 500 or 1000 it shows you what the market value of that bourbon is. It's annoying, but... It is what it is. We both hate that saying, but we understand that it is what it is. And so then you start seeing, and granted, they're not doing this in Idaho, and they're likely not doing this in Virginia and in other control states, but in states where it is not a control state, you see retailers charging the 450 for this, the 500 for this, the 1000 for this. And that in and of itself is annoying as well. But you can understand why they're doing that because they're savvy business owners that see what the secondary market is doing and therefore wants their cut of the pie. I hate that, but I get it. There is one scenario that I think has worked really well, and, and I, don't, I don't think this is the only shop to have taken on this model, but I think it works I think it works well and I think it's fair. There's uh, Julio's up here in Massachusetts who mm-hmm. have a hold card. And a hold card is, look, if, you're, if, if you are a customer of our shop, every time you buy a bottle, you get a little X on your card or they do a little click on the card. And if you get enough of those, then you have access to this more highly allocated stuff. And, and he will, you know, the, 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 the shop owner, Ryan, will sell that bottle to you at a pretty fair price, a bit over retail, but way under you know, secondary pricing. And I kind of like that approach. I would almost like an approach that was a hybrid. Put that bottle on the shelf for what the secondary cost is. And if some numpty wants to buy it for that, fantastic. But also have the hold card system so that if you're a loyal customer to that shop, then you are protected as a loyal customer to get to potentially have access to an allocated bottle at a pretty decent price. You raise an interesting aspect of this, which is loyalty. Yeah. Yep. And and I'm, I'm not sure of the situation in Idaho, but when Virginia ran lotteries and the list that they sent out today is 10 bottles long and it's bottles that they previously put on lottery, lotteries were only available to residents of Virginia. Mm-hmm. And in today's email, they specifically point out 
that they will not be checking ID oh, for residency for anybody making a one bottle purchase in store. Yeah, I don't like and that. And so, so now here you are in Virginia saying, well, you, you could come in from D.C., you could come in mm-hmm. from West Virginia, you could come in from North Carolina, right? And so it's, you could come in from Tennessee if you wanted to. And so, so here's this kind of, we're trying to solve problems here, we're trying to get this into the right people's hands, and yet here's this other wrinkle and here's that other wrinkle. It's obviously incredibly difficult to do this in a way that makes everybody happy. You're not going to pull that off. So what's the consideration? How do we make this better for our employees? Because we don't want to lose staff when they're being harassed, Mm -hmm. right? So we need to protect our employees first and foremost. We're then going to try and protect whiskey drinkers second. And we're really not going to try and protect flippers, right? They're, They're not really the people we're thinking about here. But one of the things for me that ties the second half of today's episode to today's first half of the episode Mm -hmm. is look at the increased allocations that are now in Idaho and Virginia, as these two examples we're talking about today. We're looking at bourbon that wasn't being exported in the same numbers to Europe becoming available in greater numbers in the United States. Mm. And with the removal of the tariffs, what's this going to look like a year from now, two years from now? One of the things we talked about is what damage will these tariffs do to established markets? Does the U.S. say, boy, do we really, do U.S. producers, I should say, do they look at this and say, look at the consumer base we have in America mm-hmm. that we're not even meeting, right? Liquor stores are putting so many things on lottery. The secondary's gone bananas. Do we refocus on the American marketplace and sell greater volume into our home market? Mm. Do we go back to Europe, reestablish what we had over there while they're obviously making more liquid? But your 10-year-old juice isn't ready tomorrow, your 18-year-old juice isn't ready tomorrow, right? There's still plans of of action here, plans of attack for producers and the marketplace to go into effect. But that was that was one of the things I thought in looking at this list where you've now got enough inventory to stock throughout Virginia. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think American producers are going to be they're going to be juggling for a little while as as they figure out how to grow once again in Europe while managing the US in its seemingly unending growth and appreciation for bourbon however i think american producers have a bit of a leg up when compared to producers on the other side of the pond because well a few things most whiskies bourbon whiskies tend to be non-age stated, right? So you could play around with your ages so long as mm-hmm. it tastes good. Absolutely. And because of how so many producers here in the U.S. mature, you've got multiple floors within your warehouse to potentially increase the rate of maturation. If you need whiskey that tastes good in a bottle at a younger age, well, 
put that barrel on the seventh floor of your warehouse, put it on the ninth floor of your <laughs> warehouse and, and, you know, really put it into high gear. There's going to be a juggling act. There's no doubt about it. It'll be interesting to watch it play out and see if people tick along with it. See if they continue to be comfortable weathering the ever-increasing price of bourbon, right? They, they pointed it out really quickly, and I know we're getting close to the end here, but I just want to point this out. You know, they, they mentioned Blanton's at $59.95 and, and Eagle Rare at $35.95 as if those are great prices for those bottles. And when compared to the secondary market, those are good prices for those bottles. But Blanton's was a $35 bottle and Eagle Rare was a $25 bottle and still drink as such. You know, and and so it'll be interesting to see as you get more, as the whiskey has to be spread out more, and as more drinkers come to the fore to get to get this, will a thirty-five dollar tasting bourbon that sells for fifty-nine soon to sell for much more than that? Are people going to go for that whiskey? That'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah, as, as always with a changing landscape, it's very well worth watching and, and thinking about how global markets will affect what happens within these US shores. Um, just to clarify before we get out of here, I was continuing to scan over this email and in Virginia, it, it's so great. There's three distinct points. Uh, store inventory. Each store will receive at least 24 bottles, but no more than 30 bottles in total, product selection will vary by store. Bottle distribution. Immediately before the store's opening, store managers will distribute between 24 and 30 numbered tickets, depending on the number of bottles available, to those first 24 to 30 customers in line. Bottles will be distributed on a first-come, first-served basis by these numbers. Finally, one bottle per customer. Customers will be limited to purchasing one bottle. Should a store receive more than one product, customers will still be limited to purchasing one bottle. Can you imagine being in line and getting your number and you're like, oh no, is it going to be the Elijah Craig 18-year single barrel or the Weller special reserve? Like, oh. <laughs> oh, they're going to make you think about it. But it, it, it's so interesting though, right? It's still show up. It's still stand in line. It's get a number now. Right, and if, you, if numbers are given out, and yeah. you're number thirty-one or twenty-five, depending on how many bottles they get, like you are SOL, and you didn't stand in line at another store either. So there's still going to be some gaming of the system here, right? If you're if you're a group of collectors, you know you you span out, you go and occupy as many stores oh, as you yeah. can, right? Yeah. Oh, there's yeah. still going to be there are whiskey right. groups around. Yeah, they'll 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 figure it out, and and hopefully. Hopefully those whiskey groups, what they're doing, if they're going to get multiples of them, is they buy them and they open them up and they share them with one another. That, you know, I'm, I'm fine with all this so long as Absolutely. bottles are getting opened up and being shared. Whiskey's meant to be drunk just as, you know, the who, whoever Schmitter. Faraka Schmitter, uh said. And the only thing that upsets me is the the guy waiting in line and he gets his bottle of Blanton's for $55 and then sells it on the secondary for 500. Like yeah. Yeah, get get them open, get them shared. Let's keep it fun, let's keep it a hobby with with like-minded groups. Exactly. 
So thanks to John for sending in the Idaho Statesman uh, article. That was that was a good one to cover. Yeah. I really yep. enjoyed that. Uh, as we said earlier, if you want to be like John, send in your own recommendation for us on Extra Extra. You can use questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com, no E in whiskey, or throw it over to the info at singlecastnation.com account. You're welcome to do that as well. Sure. We've gone a little long, but I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation with you, Joshua. As did I, Jason. I always do. I specifically left a gap for you to say that, so thank you very much for <laughs> filling in the silence. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Extra Extra. It's all about whiskey. Cheers, listeners. Cheers, Joshua. Cheers, all. Cheers, all.